Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, it, uh, or good morning, depending on what part of the world you're in. Our guest is on the West Coast, so it's still AM for them. Um, this is Michael. Uh, I'm going I'm to be running the show today. Our guest is Andrew Morton, who's the CEO of Bloom Health Partners. Um, Andrew, welcome to Drive Through HR. How are you today? Great, thank you. Great, for, great to be here. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about a. Uh, an issue that's literally timely for every every business and 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 uh, employer in the in the world it seems these days. In a second, I, I I do have to comment that for those that are listening, um, this Andrew Morton is not the Andrew Morton that some of us know and have have worked with in the past from Sherm. This is a, a different Andrew Morton. It's funny that when I saw your name, Andrew, there's a Sherm is the, the Society of Human Resources Management. And their social media manager for a number of years was a guy named Andrew Morton as well. But he, he's, he's since left term. But many of our listeners will will know who he is. So no confusion, well, but but go ahead. I was going to say, I do also share have the honor of sharing the name with the individual that wrote, wrote all those funny books years ago about Princess Di and Madonna and a few others named Andrew Morton, who's another author. So, so everyone's so going to get a little so, special treatment when I check into a hotel <laughs> somewhere where I get the, that name. Awesome. So you you have the luxury of being able to either adopt uh, you know a, a friendly persona or m- maybe an Andrew from Sherm's case somebody you don't want to no I'm kidding Andrew's a great guy and anyway um, but so so introduce yourself as the real Andrew Morton from Bloom Health Partners tell us our listeners uh, you know who you are and what you do. Uh, happy to so so Andrew Morton as uh, it's definitely established. Uh, a CEO of Bloom Health Partners. Uh, my background, very quickly, just if it's helpful, I do come out of the tech industry personally, uh, and really been very good at disrupting industries. Uh, traditionally, in my previous lives, worked uh, very heavily in streaming video, and really saw an industry that needed some change, and successfully did that uh, with companies in Silicon Valley, uh, primarily where it comes mm-hmm. from. And previous to that, co-founded my first company, and I've been, been involved in this a couple times in the entrepreneurial space. To date myself a little bit, you know, after leaving uh, what we'll call corporate America in 2001 and resigning and, and co-launching a business, became quite successful on a global scale in the telecommunications space. So certainly understand, you know, entrepreneurial you know, background, understand how to build companies and all that, but also understand that I don't know what I don't know. And on we and within Bloom Health Partners, we are I really, even though I'm CEO here, I like to feel like I'm part of a team of partners that really bring lots of things to the table. And we've surrounded ourselves as a company with medical experts you know, people that are very you know, heavily skewed on the digital side as well. We have a number of clinics and labs uh, across the country now in the United States and now soon to be Canada. Uh, and as an organization, really built ourselves initially around COVID, but not so much as a pandemic response company, but also recognizing more than that, that there was, if nothing, some inadequacies in the healthcare system that needed some help. Uh, we are certainly not here to compete with hospitals and existing labs, but if, if nothing, we're augmenting services that were, you know, desperately needed, you know, and, Bloom Health Partners, you know, was founded around the principles of really bringing some, some intelligence and innovation to a space it hadn't seen in the in decades. And all the pandemic, mm-hmm. it's quite severe. You know, what we're seeing around the world and Omicron, you know, as we're sitting right now is not making it any better, unfortunately. Yeah, if nothing, has put a, a huge microscope on the need for some innovative healthcare for individuals, you know, and, and that would be in the form of companies, 
In our case, we're working with movie companies, TV productions, Fortune 500 clients, industrial clients, and when more recently announced, uh, some, some statewide school, school deployments in the K-12 space. Yeah, so I, I, tend to, I tend to focus things through the lens of employee relations mm-hmm. um, because that's the, that's the HR, that's the part of human resources space that I primarily have worked in for 30-some years. Um, and, and the Omicron, I mean, well, the COVID-19 pandemic and all of its variations of, of both virus, you know, formats and, and just all the other challenges it's brought really has been unprecedented in a lot of ways. Um, I guess you guys have come up with some, some solutions, but you, you said you've worked with a number of companies, but I, I think that uh, in, in some of the discussion I had um, pre- prepping for the show, there was a, a situation where you created a pop-up testing site in a parking lot. Can you, so can you kind of give us that, maybe start with that story and give us the background about what Bloom Health Partners is doing these days, and then we'll talk a little bit about COVID and getting back to the office and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So the initial Bloom team founded the business, uh, and this is way back, we'll call it February of 2020, uh, and the initial mm-hmm. – that was done by the initial founders of the business where you're absolutely right was in a parking lot so so as a matter of fact if nothing it underscored the need for an augmentation of the existing healthcare service just for individuals this was very much for consumers you know what we they but the team literally saw on the ground and this was you know really two of my partners in the business here they they were literally in a parking lot with the team across the street from one of the largest medical centers in the world there in houston down in downtown houston mm-hmm. you that the medical center couldn't do, which was kind of incredible. And, you know, the cars were lined up down the street just to get a test. And, you know, everybody was smart enough to see, you know, on the team that, look, this is, there's a real need for this. You know, just individuals need testing and they just can't get it. The system is not equipped for this. But also recognize there's a bigger picture here. How are companies going to function you know, going forward in all of this? You know, and as we started to do testing more and more for companies, so you know, if you see on our website, you'll see we've done stuff at the Super Bowl with PepsiCo was a really good example, or Six Flags and people like that. Those are all, that's all on our on our site. You know, what we recognize very quickly is longer term companies are going to need to function with you know really their own version of some, some kind of service that's going to keep employees safe. That's going to make the human resources department feel a little bit more at ease about having everybody integrate with each other. And, and then well beyond, you know, when the pandemic is kind of over, you know, whenever that is, and I think with this, really this pandemic becomes endemic, which means this will always be around, what other kinds of services are going to make employees feel good for the long term? You know, because, you know, the, the longer term impact of all of this is, you know, mental health. Uh, and the longer term mm-hmm. impact is also, if nothing, people taking a much more serious look at their own health in general. And, and if nothing, that's definitely happened from an employee perspective. They're starting to really evaluate their employers on, on that basis. But kind of way back to those very simple roots of being in a parking lot to where we are now is what I would call us as an operational health provider because we're doing so much more than mm-hmm. testing. It's a big part of what we do. We really are becoming that on-site care provider for the employer to both take care of the employee and attract the new employees. So um... – well, this is not in the, some of the, the questions that I posted in the show notes. I we improvise a little, so you know I'm sure. not I'm not trying to sting you or anything. But um, like just last week, right? Supreme Court 
set aside or stayed the, the emergency temporary standard that OSHA had put out, which required testing and all kinds of other stuff. And many HR people breathed a huge sigh of relief, and there's been discussion whether they, that should be – is that a good thing or a bad thing that it didn't go through? But it certainly had a ton of operational issues that largely were dealt with at, at, in the HR department at many companies. So I guess I want to go back to testing and, and the work in the workforce and sort of like – like you guys augment is what I'm hearing you say. You guys augment that service uh, for your customers, your clients. But like the roots of testing is like we're we're do, I, I see these stories where people say oh, there's too much testing or not, there's not enough testing. Like, can you kind of just walk us through testing and what maybe the best practices, if there are some established at this point, that employers might be looking at? You know, that's a great question. I, you know, they, there's. Like obviously right now because of Omicron testing features as, as a topic, it's you know everybody's talking about it right now. And if you look at the numbers, we're hey, we're between 500,000 to a million cases a day in America, which is a lot. You know now the good news mm-hmm. with Omicron is it doesn't appear to be as severe uh, as previous variants, uh, and that, uh, we can get into pathogens and the source of pathogens and you know and variants <laughs> from later. That's a whole other topic. But specific to testing, you know, my my. My my experience in all this has been, you know, and this really comes very much heavily guided by who's on our advisory, who's on our board, and who our management is on the medical side of our company. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we look at, you know, really what the real best practices are for testing. I mean, everybody's talking about rapid testing right now as being kind of the, the you know, the, the real push, and I know there's lots and lots going out there, and we are supporting a lot of it. And, and uh, the, the challenge with rapid testing, of course, is that I think, uh, I think most people know this. You know, there's, there's two challenges with rapid testing today. One is that, you know, it may not necessarily pick up all the variants, specifically Omicron, that's been documented. And the other challenge mm-hmm. is, unless you're symptomatic, uh, in other words, your viral load is high enough, uh, you're not necessarily going to get a, a, a true positive where you, uh, with, with the rapids, and it may miss some of these asymptomatic cases. You know, the, the best practices seem to be, rather than, you know, getting people to do rapid testing every single day of the week, which I think becomes very tiresome very quickly, maybe a combination of, a lab-based test on a somewhat frequent basis until it doesn't need to happen anymore. And, and there's some economical ways to do that in volumes uh, and effectively mm-hmm. where it's not, it doesn't become this giant barrier for the employee. And, and, it's, and it's just this burden. And if nothing on the critical path of just having a normal day, which is, you know, what, you're, what HR people kind of strive for is happy workplaces and right. maybe a combination of that. And the occasional rapid is a fill-in. I think that would be a little more realistic than saying to everybody, okay, you got to test every day of the week, five days a week. Well, I know even though we're not doing the brain tickle anymore and that kind of thing, and the rapids don't require that, it does get a bit old for people to, you know, to have things stuck up their nose almost every day. Uh, and there's sure. got to be a better way. Yeah. Standing in line, you know, I mean, just the tracking, so many, so many issues with it. Um, yeah. Is, is there a, is there also an issue with false positives with, especially with the rapid test? The false negatives seem to be the bigger issue um, than false okay. positives. False negatives, what it unfortunately does is create a false sense of security. And, and then that's where problems begin to start. Because then if somebody's like, okay, well, I'm good. Then this, this is fine. I'll just go off and do it. You know, go, I'm going to stop by the mall and you know, food court and go shopping at Best Buy. And, and then tomorrow I'll go back to work and everything's going to be just fine. But then unfortunately what they don't know is that they're positive or negative. Where if there is a lab base that's there's a somewhat re, uh, regular – interval of testing in lab, at least there's a better chance of somebody getting hit with a true positive where they can maybe take a step back and say, okay, I'm going to isolate here until I know if I'm symptomatic and see where the viral load sits. 
And, and I think that's been the challenge. We, we have on the lab side had a few clients of ours that, you know, I'd say, I say kind of somewhat tongue in cheek with our team. Some of our best customers, we, we won unglamorously. In other words, they were working with a company that wasn't as serious about the science as Bloom Health Partners is. We have some pretty serious folks around here in our labs. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, it had some false positives because there was just bad lab practices. And then the problem get, get there is these artificial shutdowns. And we tend to see the false positives more often from the lab side and the false negatives more af- often from the rapid side, which is sort of the point of care on-site yeah. testing, those 15-minute tests. Yeah. They all have their place. But, but that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's go back to the parking lot <laughs> in Houston across the street in kind of your – Kind of your roots, if you will. So you, so you guys had, you know, you guys started out, you know, in the midst of this, in this, the midst of this crazy two years, and now you're dealing with, as you mentioned, you know, TV companies, studios, etc., theme parks. How did you make that jump, and and what what do you like? What is your current service or your current vision for the platform that you offer? Tell us about where you're at today. Great question. Well, you know, going back in the parking lot, the original founders of the business, because we really blew in partners. A lot of us have come together as partners is the best way of describing it. We had a really, it's really a combination of two companies that came together, which was the clinical business and a digital tech business. And I think you bring those two of those together and now we have an intelligent business that changes the way all this is administered. I think we all recognize that as a team. And the, you know, starting in the parking lot, you know, all the way to back there, there was clearly a need, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have had cars lined up down the street. You know, I think, uh, you know, mm-hmm. cruise pop and have a look and, you know, and, you know, it was, there was that irony of us being across the street from, you know, the, one of the largest medical centers in the world. So you, that, I mean, you can't, you can't, you, you can't pick a better, you know, metaphor than that, that there's a real need here for additional services for individuals. But really from there, we recognize quickly as a team that, you know, beyond just dealing with consumers and pop-up clinics and that kind of thing, you know, how, how do companies function long-term? You know, when the immediate hit of the panic, I don't want to say panic, but the rush of, okay, am I negative or am I not negative? I might have a cold, I don't know. And the mass individuals that can't even show up for testing, like in, in that format, in a parking lot. Well, meanwhile, you know, that's not sustainable to send your employees down to go wait in line in their car for a couple hours to get a test. That's just not realistic. How do you run a company mm-hmm. that way? You know, and companies and businesses had to start taking this on themselves. And that's how we got into that business because some of them we really, we, we really we were essentially tapped by a few and said, you know, how can you help us with our business? Because we have a bigger need here. If you can set up something like this, a collection center at the business site, well, then people show up to work. There's, we don't have this, you know, this unfortunately, you know, massive lineup to deal with and all that kind of thing. We just test them at work. We get, you know, we work on a regular cadence of tests. And then how do we get results back to our employees quickly? Well, those are all sol- problems that we we're very happy to solve. You know, and if you triangulate that with, kind of what we'll call risk profiles of, a, of running a business where there's a dashboard with a whole data component to it where an, an HR professional can look at that and start figuring out risk assessment of who's been tested, how often, how frequently, you know, coordinate some of that with, you know, who's, been, who's willing to, to talk about vaccinations if there's a vaccination policy at the company. You know, we certainly don't get in the middle of, you know, playing lawyer with people or, or telling them policy. We give them all the tools to make those decisions, but at least now they have a means to do both testing and have a centralized view of, on a, literally on a computer screen, how many people have been tested, how recently, and what's the risk uh, that we're running given the, the people that haven't been tested and start figuring that stuff out. If they start mm-hmm. triangulating that with things like who's been vaccinated and if they want to start collecting that kind of data, well, then we have the tools for that too. 
Okay, so I, that was I was actually going to ask that as a question. So you you not only offer the testing, but you also offer the 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 systems that aren't probably in house at many companies right now to track this information as well, because this is that's a huge challenge in and of itself as well for many many employers. Um, you know, I live in Florida, which has had an interesting approach under Governor DeSantis. It's had an interesting approach to the to the pandemic, different than a lot of other states. And um, I was struck on New Year's Day, the actual New Year's Day holiday. There's a um, there's a, a parking lot testing uh, facility set up in the local convention center downtown where I live. And mm-hmm. on New Year's Day, they were they probably had 150 cars lined up on the holiday outside that facility, you know, that was cars winding through the parking lot out onto a side street and then onto the main road. And that was the, actually the busiest day I've seen when, when that was kind of when things were going crazy down here. Um, it, so we're still not really like, even with all the stuff that you guys have created, and I'm sure there are other companies like you, we're still not really out of the, the need for that type of service, I guess, with these, with as many cases as you said, million cases a day or whatever. It's still, still kind of killing us, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's a question. That's more of a random observation, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, uh, like well, no, where, where are we at right now? It, Sorry, go ahead. What I was going to say is, where are we at right now, as far as you you can see, um, in the sort of the, the the I don't know the arc of of uh, the of the current virus. You know, it's a great question. Well, if we listen to our advisors and we listen to the folks, we actually bloom how we actually held uh, we like to hold these regular panels that we do. They're I mean, they're in the form of kind of Zoom kind of webinars because that's how we do things these mm-hmm. days more than getting people in person into, into an auditorium. But we just, we just we're starting to do a regular cadence of these, and we just had a couple of one of our board members who sat on the panel, uh, and her name is Dr. Namisha Kalia. Dr. Kalia is the current chief medical officer at GE, uh, and then mm-hmm. also on the, you know, the moderator for that was uh, Joe Curlin, Dr. Joe Curlin. He's in Minnesota. He's an infectious disease expert, works at Children's in the, in the, in the city there, and really, uh, you know, obviously a you know, very bright scientist. So we, we mm-hmm. had the two of them walk through kind of different scenarios and, they, and that obviously that question came out, you know, how long are we talking about here? Where, where are we in the wave? We're right now into kind of week two of, of kind of three weeks where the expectation is we're going to see a peak in Omicron is what we've been told. This is according to the epidemiologists and the experts that have been watching this. So we're kind of, we, we're, st- we're definitely still seeing it. We are seeing a bit of a fall off in some places. I've heard yesterday in the news that New York is now seeing kind of a, a reduction of, I think, 17,000 cases a day average is a running average. And New York is just always kind of a good example just because there's just so many people in the condensed area. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to see some of that. However, we're, I think we're pretty much in it right now where we're going to see the peak. That being said, the challenge and this is what I get worried about, and I really don't want to be doom- a doomsday type. The way the, the, the uh, variants tend to work is that Omicron, for example, it doesn't, it's not like it necessarily comes from a branch of a, you know, of a, of a mm-hmm. variant of a variant kind of thing. So what we don't know is, what, you know, from, the, from that root, uh, you know, virus, what does the next variant look like that comes out of that root? That, that's, that's the thing we don't know, right? And that's always the big question mark to me. The, the good news, at least it seems to be, is that for as much, you know, you, know, you know, doom and gloom we hear in the news and the media about variant, you know, variants and this kind of thing, at least we're not seeing tons of virus, you know, variants over and over again. You know, we're not seeing, I mean, even though it does mutate heavily and it is a very real thing, we're not seeing like a new one every week or something crazy like that. When I mean, you consider the millions mm-hmm. of cases in the world, that's somewhat of a silver lining in this. I would say we're right now just on the other side of the peak was based on the numbers we see today. 
but it's not like we're, you know, in, in great shape right now, unfortunately, in terms of the, the, the cases. The one good thing about Omicron, at least, is if somebody is vaccinated, the results are not as severe. You know, it, it is, but that, but it is still, you know, it is still something to keep an eye on. And we're definitely seeing, you know, a much higher take in hospitals and everything else. You know, you know kind of take it back to what matters for human resources. As a company, you know, running risk is something you always think about. And if at the very least we can take testing and combine that with some intelligence and start figuring out a strategy for testing so that the company stays open and there are no shutdowns, I think to me that's kind of the bigger thing to take away from all of this is that whether you know, this all burns out and by summertime we're not even talking about this anymore, you know, the, the fact that this kind of thing could happen again, measures at the very least need to be in place. And, some, and I would say a combination of a testing regimen, whether it be Weekly, biweekly, three days a week. It really depends on kind of what's happening out there for variants. Uh, but at the very least, you throw some intelligence on top of that and start doing some real risk assessment and planning. I think the data will tell us how to run our businesses. And I think that's a better way to approach this because if we just continue to just kind of throw volume at it, then, you know, we're never really going to solve a problem. We're just going to keep throwing volume at it. If we throw some intelligence at it and start planning around events and start, you know, really almost like an accordion, you know, scaling up and scaling down the, the frequency of tests and that kind of thing. I think, I think that's mm-hmm. a much more approach to this. And there's, there's a better way to do it. And, and luckily we have the tools in, in the data side to be able to do that as, as a, it really is a society. It's not just a balloon thing all the way around us. I mean, technology definitely got the vaccines out the door faster. Technologies can, can help us figure out how, how to make smart choices as business owners. Yeah, um, I know, and, and of course, then we face all the political politicization, or however you say that word, the politicization of the of the vaccine and of the virus, and you know all that's just another obstacle that it really stirs up uh, really tough discussions for employers in the workplace. You know, I, I, I see on you know forums for for employers on you know Reddit or Facebook or whatever, and any discussion around the ETS, man, it's barbed conversations that are really hard and employees really have strong feelings about this. So I guess there's tons of challenges from the technical side. There's tons of challenges from the people side. What are, what are, what are you guys, we have literally about eight minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but what do you guys talk to your clients about as, as the executives who are looking at, at you as a partner in this? What do you talk to them about for the most part? We give them all the tools to make their decisions. You know, we can't come into a business and say, we, we, we think you should do this. And, of course, if they want an opinion, we'll, we're always happy to offer it. Uh, but what we like to do is give them all the tools to do it. And that would be a combination of here's a, a steady network of labs, because we have labs in New York, the New York area, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, Dallas, Texas, Los Angeles. Uh, we're getting ready to mm-hmm. open some well, sort of the backdrop of this. But that, to me, that's just a support mechanism for our frontline work, which is what we do, operational health kind of work on site for, for employers. And we say, we give them, we give them all the tools. So look, based on the decisions you want to make, it really depends on how you operate. Because if you, I mean, let's be realistic. An employer in the state of Colorado has different issues than an employer in the state of Texas, right? There's just, there's just mm-hmm. a different dynamic workforce, different dynamic to how things work. And we really, we don't want to play lawyer there, you know, and really, you know, as far as things like the mandates and that kind of thing, we always sort of shied away from that, recognizing that really, it's really up to what our clients want to do as far as policy. We just give them the tools to enforce that policy. You know, at some mm-hmm. point, if there's clients that's needed, they've got the tools. You know, the one that we're hearing more and more about now is from insurance companies, because insurance companies have kind of come a couple of challenges around organizations. First of all, what do the liabilities look like? Uh, and 
well, even though people will say, you know, we, we don't want to be vaccinated and all that. Well, that's their choice. You know, we're not involved in that. But at the same time, if somebody gets sick at work because there's unsafe practices and unfortunately there's some kind of event that happens as a result of the illness, you know, the, uh, unfortunately, you know, pe- people tend to sue, you know, and, and uh, you know, without, without question, we're seeing some of that. Now, if you look in the media, there's a pretty famous case in the state of California. There's a number of class action lawsuits that have gone on as a result of COVID being spread in the, in the workplace. At the very least, we can give companies the tools just to hope, hopefully avoid some of that without having to get mm-hmm. into the whole personal rights business. Because I think that's a separate topic. And, and I, I think that's going to be – it'll take them a lot longer to get through just building a good policy with some good, healthy risk management in, in, installed to it where workers are safe versus just you know, trying to take on some kind of political thing, which I think, I, I think it's going to be a difficult thing to do. And I think this way, at least, they can just function without having to worry about the political side of things. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, everything from a very laissez-faire approach, you know, just, just come back to the office, you know, we're just going to take our chances. <laughs> I think, you know, like maybe, maybe incent people to get the vaccine but not really require it and not do much testing. You know, that's an approach. Um, then there's been, you know, many employers who've said you're going to get vaccinated or you're gone. Yeah, and there's, you know, you probably a hundred different iterations in between, and and there's none of them are right, I guess, and and perhaps none of them are wrong. It sort of depends on your culture and all that stuff. What what other is there any others like one one specific challenge or or problem or issue that we haven't talked about yet that you would call out for HR people to think about? I think the longer term thing thing to think about is that there's there's an entire mental health component that comes with all this too. I mean, there's a lot of stress involved with you know, what we see in you know, I mean, your your personal example of being on New Year's Day, the you know the biggest holiday of the year, arguably, where truly most almost nobody works. Uh, 150 people standing in line uh, trying to get a test. Mm-hmm. There's a whole stress. There's a whole mental health component to this that isn't really being talked about much. And, and employers were, that we deal with on the, as an operational health provider for them, some of the testing you know, side of things have all turned to us. A lot of them turned to us and said, well, we, you know, we need you know, kind of a couple things from you, which would be really a wellness program. Wellness can take a multiple, you know, multiple forms because what they're thinking about now as an employer is, well, now that you know, most of our employees haven't gone to the doctor in a while because nobody wants to go near a hospital, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and because you know, our, our insurance companies are keeping a close eye on all this because they're, they're very worried about what they're doing you know, kind of their risk profile because, as you know, insurance companies need to have data to understand how to work out odds and work out premiums. So premiums are definitely going up. That's, I'm hearing that across the board. There's got to be another way of doing it. And if they can start using you know, very similar tactics to be able to, to work with employees, to give them incentives to be at work, i.e. better health care overall, not just COVID testing, but, hey, you know, we're going to be your center to give you, you know, quarterly blood pressure checks and keep things like diabetes in, in check. You know, type 2 diabetes is an epidemic on its own with, you know, greater than 20% mm-hmm. of Americans are diabetic. Uh, and, and that, you know, if they can give them all those kinds of things, well, then the employee starts feeling a little better about working there. And if nothing, I feel, and in fact, I'm convinced that healthcare, in in a new form by the employer, can be the perk of the next decade. You know, I think employees, because health is such a hot topic right now among pretty much everybody. I mean, this thing has affected all of us around the world mm-hmm. and all life. I think there's an opportunity for employers to use this as an op- to turn to employees and say, "Hey, we're we're actually investing in these things for you, the employee, to both make you want to work here long term and, and and attract more workers." And I think that's going to work. I think the free lunch and the 24-hour buffet that companies in Silicon Valley offered were kind of a 90s, kind of 2000 kind of decade kind of thing. 
I think the 2020 decade perk is going to be healthcare and a different way of offering mm. it. I think the traditional methods don't work, not, not to compete with the hospital, but to offer services to make it easier to get some kind of care, whether it's I just don't feel well today. And that's nothing to do with COVID. That's just the flu or a cold. You know, mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. pop down to the, you know, the office clinic or the factory clinic, they can help you out. Right. Or I think I hurt myself. Okay. Popping over there. You know, you don't have to go wait in a waiting room somewhere. It's ours. And in the end, the net effect of that is a more productive workforce, uh, a happier workforce and quite possibly lower insurance premiums, because now a lot of things that would normally land on the insurance plan don't wind up there. And I think a small spend on an onsite clinic with with some intelligence that the employer can start to see not individual data, but just overall data on what the overall health and welfare is of their employee. I think that's going to be something somewhat useful for them to turn to insurance companies and say, hey, look at all the things we're doing proactively to, you know, to keep our premiums under control. I think, I think that's kind of a win for both sides in that case. And I think that I, I, I would. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Um, we've said it numerous times because we've obviously had many, many discussions on the show over the last couple of years about, you know, COVID and its impact. And, I, you know, I think we've, we've shared an opinion that there's like a developing national case of PTSD sort of hasn't really unfold, unfurled yet in its entirety. Listen, we're down to the last minute, so thanks for being our guest. This was a, a really interesting conversation, and it went by really fast. Can you share, as we, as we wrap up, can you share where people might reach out to you or to, uh, to Bloom Health Partners if they would like to get more information? Absolutely. Always the best place, first of all, is a website nowadays because things every, everybody's, got a, everybody's got a smartphone or computer. That's just bloomhealthpartners.com. And bloomhealthpartners.com, mm-hmm. Reach out to us. There's a number of places. There's contact. There's numbers there. There's obviously email addresses to reach us as well. And then, of course, we have uh, you know LinkedIn page, Twitter page, if you're interested in some of the data feeds that we're doing. And we are putting out a lot of media just around and studies just around general healthcare, well beyond COVID. I mean, operational health being very much a feature because I think that's the longer term need for most HR professionals. So I certainly encourage folks to come to bloomhealthpartners.com. Thanks very much. I really appreciate the information, Andrew, and have a great rest of the day. I'm going to go ahead and end the show right on time. Have a good afternoon. Likewise. Thank you. Bye.